I'm doing something I've never done before, which is the first open Filling the Funnel program. July 19th in San Francisco, in partnership with SalesLoft, LeadIQ, and Costello, I'm going to be hosting a full-day workshop bringing my Filling the Funnel program to you. If you've wanted to attend my program in person or you have a small three to five member sales team, this is a great opportunity to access the same training companies like Salesforce, Slack, Dropbox, and many others have made a part of their coaching. Let's make it happen. Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows. Make it happen Monday. Hopefully, y'all had a good weekend and good week. Uh, I'm a little frustrated. I'm, I'm talking to somebody who, right now, we are we're at odds right now because of our our teams right now in the playoffs, Toronto versus the Bruins. Uh, we we got smoked last night, so I'm a little bit frustrated with that. But I want to introduce Sean Finer, the CEO of Auto Clothes. How's it going, Sean? Good. How you doing, John? I'm, I'm, I could be doing better uh, as far as <laughs> I, I, our, our teams are concerned, but I got to give you guys credit. You, you like kicked our ass and we were pretty much looked like we were sleeping last night. Yeah. Um, but uh, talk to, Sean, tell, tell the, uh, for those of uh, the audience that doesn't know you, uh, what, uh, what are you doing these days? What's AutoClose all about? And, uh, and, and what are you guys working on? Perfect. So uh, yeah, about four, four and a half years ago, we started our first company uh, called Exchange Leads, which is a, a data provider of B2B data. And what happened was, we had a lot of clients that loved using our data but didn't know where to email it from. So uh, one day, instead of paying the Canadian government a hefty tax bill, we said, let's do some R&D and build a second platform, which is AutoClose, which is a, a sales automation platform with a built-in B2B database. So um, unlike your usual you know, sales automation platform by itself, and then you have your Discover Orgs and Zoom, and Zoom Infos, we have it all in one place where you can do your um, sales follow-ups, but also use our database to to prospect um, to cold to cold leads. Nice, cool. So you know, it's a timely conversation because I, I'm starting to, you know, I'm starting to get kind of frustrated with reps um, and and what's happening in the marketplace, right? Because we had you know, ten years we we had marketing automation and and all that stuff, and it just okay flooded the marketplace. Great, okay, good. Inbound lead generation, great. You know, scale everything else. And then, I don't know, five or six years ago, the, the sales automation uh, or the sales efficiency tools started coming out to give sales reps the tools to, to really uh, put together um, contact strategies and all that other stuff and do it at scale. But what's happened is I, I'm, I'm starting to question the difference between a marketing automation and a sales automation, right? It, it, they look exactly the same to me. Yep. Um, and they are, I can almost pick out who the vendor is by the way, of what you're using these days based on the sequence or the cadence or the whatever the hell you want to call it is. Because yeah. it's like, it's almost like they replicate the exact same templates. So help me uh, get off my soapbox about like like the, the danger of these tools and help me understand wh- what should be automated? How, uh, how should these reps be using these tools so we can differentiate over the marketing automation tools that are out there right now? Yeah, perfect. And funny you say that, actually. I received an email this morning, and the subject line was company with an arrow to the other company. I was like, hmm, I've seen that. I've seen that exact template that they have on their website that they recommend for all of their clients. So right away, I knew the tool was coming from. But I'm going to say that the key is uh, personalization. Um, So yes, marketing and sales, you can send the same email sequences. But what you want to do is really know more about the person at a personal level. So for example, what we recommend in our sales cadences, et cetera, um, is, for example, if you were selling roofs, maybe put the dimension of the property 
that you're trying to sell the roof to. So try and have like almost like a field of really something personal that could be really related to that individual instead of broadcasting on a, you know, a marketing stance where it's going, you know, you're blasting to, you know, to 10,000 people using a marketing platform and ideally hoping for people to raise their hand. So I think personalization would be one. One thing we've started doing is actually adding personal video. So we have a partnership with Vidyard inside where if you know Vidyard, they actually sometimes will put like a like a little uh, sign up with your name. Right. Um, so doing something like that inside your follow-up sequence and editing your sequences throughout um, is also very important. So so do you, because I mean, I think that's the thing. It's like, do you recommend almost forcing it so that the rep has to do something before that sequence cadence, whatever goes out, so it's not just a press play? Yeah. So, you know, personally what I, you know, and, and you yourself as well, I mean, we're both very big LinkedIn advocates. We yep. love LinkedIn. One thing that I also like to do to make the sequences feel a little more personal is I'll actually go and have my team look at anyone that clicked or took any sort of action from that initial email that was personalized mm-hmm. and then add that person on LinkedIn or try and go on LinkedIn and see if you can get engaged with them through some social or some blog post they did. So it doesn't look like when they receive those emails, it doesn't look like, oh, is he just sending me the, you know, the RE follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. But you've also touched them in more than one place. So when they actually receive your emails, it's like, oh, yeah, Sean just added me on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, Sean, we had a conversation on that, that post that John did on LinkedIn about, um, you know, sales automation, for example. So I think that's also important. But not just going in for the sale, but trying to learn more find out their interests on LinkedIn. Do they like tennis golf and try and really get that involved in your content? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think we've definitely moved into more of an impression world than a, than a, so I'm, I'm sure you follow Gary V, right? Oh yeah. He's got that jab, 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 right hook, right? How you add value then ask. And I think that, that the way I look at it these days is it's, it's a little bit frustrating for reps who are being held to monthly quota stuff. But it's 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 a much more long term play here, right? And the brand building and the social connecting and the impressions, right? Yep. So quote somebody if you if you go on somebody's LinkedIn profile, you you type you know and and you follow up with one of their blog posts or something like that. You make a, all you got to do is make a comment or or you know retweet one of their whatever it is. Yep. They that might not be an act, you know. Oh, look at Sean just did that, but there's an impression there. Yeah, I saw, I saw your name and I saw your face and it might not have consciously registered, but it might potentially subconsciously registered. So the more you do that, the more after that fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth touch, I'm now there's a familiarity with it. And it's like, OK, now let me reach out to this. But now let me respond the way I want to respond. Yeah, exactly. And I think you said it. I mean, one thing that I, I love to do is especially when my team have quotes out is if I send a quote out, say I send a quote out to you, John, and. I don't hear from you for four or five days. Now, as you said, you were just traveling to Dubai and you're always traveling. So you might not reply within 48 hours or 24 hours. But what if you what you can do is use LinkedIn as that social impression by sometimes just, just endorse them for one skill right. or like something. Because when you do any of that, it actually shows up on their newsfeed. Oh, Sean, find your endorsement for this. Oh, I forgot. Five days ago, Sean emailed me about that quote. I never replied. And let me tell you, by using those little impressions like, like you're calling them, actually allow you to get well get us responses quicker and yeah. actually get us more engaged because it's not like we're just sending the automation and letting it sit sitting back with our feet up and hoping a sales an auto close or a sales automation platform do it all for you so i definitely agree with the uh the jab 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 um you know um gary v uh, statement 
Right. And I, and I think then that's why people ask me, you know, like why John, like voicemails, right? Like why leave voicemails? Nobody calls me back. Well, the reason I leave voicemails isn't because I get callbacks. The reason I leave voicemails is because my email response rates go up when I leave voicemails. Yep. Right. So it's like, you might, you know, you, and, and I just know the way I work. Right. So for instance, if you send me an email, if it's not like super top of mind, something that is a priority for me, but it's something I might be interested, I throw it in my things to, you know, things to read folder effectively, or like a folder that says tech to evaluate. And then I'll probably forget about it. But then about two or three weeks later, if I get a phone call and a voicemail from somebody, I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Let me go check it out. Right. So I think there's this, this impression game is an important one. Um, it's the same thing with LinkedIn invitations. Like I used to use LinkedIn invitations. Like say, say you and I were meeting, um, before the meeting, I used to actually send you a meeting invitation saying, Hey, I'm looking forward to show you that I've done. Right. But I actually don't do that anymore. I actually use it to later. So for instance, you and I talk, right. That type of thing. I send you a follow-up email with some information. I, you know, respond three, four times and you're not responding to me. Then I'll hit you up with that LinkedIn invitation. And, and if you accept it, I'm not sitting there doing backflips, but at least it shows you're willing to engage in, in some way, shape or form. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think it's very important, like what you say. It's also you want to also spread things a little bit, because, for example, if I email you today and I call you tomorrow, you were gone for the last five days traveling for an event. Mm-hmm. So it might not or you might be away with your family. So you want to almost keep doing those jab, jab or, you know, or adding on LinkedIn or liking or endorsing you know, every three, four days. So when they get back from the vacation or, they, or you get back from Dubai, you're like, OK, you know, it's almost like you have to be not annoying, but you have to be persistent. You have to almost be in the middle there where you, where they respect you and they want to answer you, but you're not annoying them by just calling them all day, trying to follow up. Yeah. And I think that's also true as far as like the, the right hook. So I, you know, I used to be a, an advocate of every single time you send an email or whatever, have a, you know, have a, be a strong call to action. You know, hey, you know, what do you want to talk and that type of thing. I, I, th- I actually think we need to back off a little bit. We, 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 we have to stop asking so much to, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. And I think we do need to kind of lay it up a little bit more and maybe share a piece of content and those type of things to warm up so that when you, when the ask is real, they pay attention. A hundred percent. I actually had a, I had a call with my, uh, we had our sales meeting this morning cause I was traveling. I got back this morning mm-hmm. and we talked about just that. So we were building out a sequence and my, my sales had, you know, my calendar book 15 minutes of my calendar on every email. I'm like, why not do something a little bit different? Maybe the first one might be, you know, what challenges do you currently have? And the second one might be, you know, um, here, you know, here's a case study of a success story from somebody. You know, the third one might be, and then on the fourth or fifth, you've earned your way to get 15 minutes with that prospect. Instead of just saying, book 15, book 15, here's what we can do, here's what we can help you. But if you start showing them, here are companies we currently work with, here's the results they got, here's people that are in the same industry as you, here's another IT company and what they did. They more respect you. They look at your value. They visit your website. So my first call to action sometimes is just come to our website. Learn about us. Don't even. I don't want to talk to you. And then go from there and then try and nurture them and then add the you know adding on LinkedIn, etc. So I 100% agree with you there. I love it. So so what is the right amount of automation? You know, like when we talk automation, look, I, I'm all for efficiencies. Yeah. Um, but I also am very, like I said, to kick this thing off. You know, I'm very concerned with over automation and. Yeah. 
and reps just literally going through the motions and being lazy and hoping for the best because and feeling like they did something because they sent out 50 you know sequences or whatever today you know and they got a couple of clicks and opens and that type of stuff so what do you from your you know what you see using your tool and, and what you're seeing out there and leveraging what like what is the right amount of automation for a a, a sequence if you will yeah, and then that's that's a great actually another thing we discussed today, and I and I think a big problem is people turn stuff like auto close or any any of our competitors on, and they say, oh, I sent two hundred emails. Like, no, you didn't. No. The platform sent it. You pressed one button, start a campaign. Right. So my whole thing is, you know, there's eight nine hours of in a sale, nine to five. Say you're working eight hours in a day. What else can you be doing? So stuff like this is automated, but actual LinkedIn engagement and stuff is not automated. You have to actually go there, read an article and start commenting. So what I like to do is um, a few things. One, in my sequences, at the last email, I want to know A, B, C, or D. I want to know potentially A, you know, it's not the right time for you. B, you don't need my product or C. So at the end of the day, I want to automate things, but I want to get an answer. So even if it's, it's something I don't have the money, I'm not interested, I'd rather you say that than just to continue sending email. So usually I would send four to five. And, but what I'll do is once somebody replies, they're automatically taken out of the sequence. Within 24 hours, that you got to be on the phone calling them. Yep. Get on the phone call, then you could discuss, you know, oh, what, why are you interested? What are the challenges? You know, why are you even interested in sales automation? So yep. I think automation, people rely on it too heavily right now. And they think that you're doing automation or you're doing, you know, 20 calls a day and that's enough. But, you know, there's so much other things you have to be doing within the automation. So I would say four to six emails, but make sure your last email is getting you a reply. It's either a no, I'm not interested. No, I don't know the budget. It's not the right time or, you know, give me a few weeks or something like that. But make sure you get some sort of answer. So what is, so what are you seeing right now is the optimal amount of, of quote unquote touches, right? Cause so if we looked at the amount of touches it takes to get somebody's attention, then we can kind of look at that and say, okay, which ones of those should be quote unquote automated and which one of those should be personalized. So what, what are you seeing right now? What are your statistics showing that, that it takes to get in touch with somebody or get a response? Yeah. So if it's a completely cold prospect, for example, you're using our database inside AutoClose and it's a cold prospect. Mm-hmm. I would actually do almost eight to 12, okay. but I'd spread it out. However, if it's somebody that maybe might be going through our MailChimp or our marketing platform where we're sending out our weekly newsletter, I might only do like four to six. So depending on if they've raised their hand a little bit or they haven't raised their hand at all, yeah. uh, I would do two different. So I come cold prospects and like your warmer leads, but um, I would spread the colder over time, um, uh, even 30, 45 days, eight to 12 but not do them all very so close. So out of eight to 12, right? So let's call it 12. Uh, 12 touches over 45 days. Yep. Um, what's a, what's a, what, are, what are some of your best uh, contact strategies looking like these days? So what, we, what we've been finding is actually putting video into our, into our campaigns okay. has really helped us. Um, we do one of two videos. One will be a personal video like you know we could be doing today, just, just of me. Another one might be, maybe they don't want to speak to you for 15, 30 minutes, but if you can show them a three and a half minute video of what AutoClose does, mm-hmm. they might click on it. And then when you click on it, then you get on the phone and you obviously call them. So That's I find videos, um, uh, videos have been really, really good. Um, and also putting success and our customer success website, a link, sorry, 
for people to go to our website because that just builds trust. And then at least I know, okay, they visit our website. Can we track what link they, they clicked? And we've also known they've seen who we're working with. Um, and then that kind of warms them up. And I feel at that point, it's better to go on the call and actually engage with that prospect. So are you, do you think that that just so video, I agree, you know, obviously I'm seeing a huge, you know, uh, videos. Do you think it's persona specific in the sense that you guys sell to VPs of sales, right? Mark, you know, maybe marketing and CROs and maybe in the in areas. And I think we're, we're in that world of, yeah, cool. That's something new. That's something cool. But, you know, for instance, I just got off the phone right before uh, we had this call with a, a company that does managed service security provider. It's a managed service security provider and they sell okay. to- they sell to CISOs, right? Yeah. The chief information security officers. And my, you know, almost every time when I'm doing a presentation, um, especially a public one or something like that, somebody will raise their hand about video and they'll say, you know what, John, I'm just not getting good responses on videos. Um, you know, what, any suggestions? And before I dive into what the message is, I, my first question is, is what's your, who's your persona? Who are you reaching out yeah. to? And almost always the ones who have challenges say, well, it's a tech, it's a technical buyer. Right. Because because yep. I look at it and I say, look, if you're a CISO, like you're not going to click on that big fucking thumbnail and be like, oh, what's this? Let me let me see what's behind that thing. So so how persona dependent do you think the different mediums are? Yeah. So we actually we've been actually uh, it was two weeks ago. We sat down and we actually a whole morning. We booked it off and we talked to like, the four different personas within our organization. So, um, you know, before what we used to do, which didn't work as well, was like kind of like not the spray and pray, but like, you know, we didn't really know. Who was our buyer? We'd go after, you know, VPs of sales, but, you know, SDRs are the one using the platform. So, you know, what we did was we realized, you know, you know, A, you know, do people need data? You know, if they do need data, you know, what are their pains? What are their gains? You know, if they don't need data and they, they have their own data or they're using just autoclose for the follow-up, you know, why are, why are they using autoclose? So we've come up with our own personas. And I think it, putting your content towards the challenges and the stuff within those personas will really help you get a higher open and click rate because then you can really relate to them. So at that point, you still have to know who exactly you're dealing with. Because, you know, for example, with us, we have, we're talking, we have, we have solopreneurs that sign up, but we also have organizations with 25 people. We also have marketing agencies. So each of them have different reasons for using autoclose, but also different reasons for buying data and different personas in the data. So personas, I think, do play a key part um, in your content strategy, and especially if you're going to do any any sort of automation with any with any company. Yeah, have you started playing around with um, uh, impact questions, like uh, questions based on personas as part of your sequences? So it's funny. We we just we just recently started really uh, building our sequence, our sorry, our personas, yeah. um, and we haven't actually started launching our campaign. So I have each of the, the each of our reps um, kind of. Well, my VPSL is building their own cadences, and then we're going to all discuss them. But um, cool. that's the that's the plan is to go through what are their pains, and yeah. inside that buyer's persona, put the pains in the sequence. So once they read it, they can say, "Oh, wow! If they can solve A, B, and C, and put A and B under one roof instead of us using two different things, yeah. and kind of visioning what it could do to help." Um, but definitely a good strategy that we're looking to implement. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm seeing a lot of luck these days with the volume, right? I mean, I, I'm always the advocate of of personalization, like real personalization, like I was on your website, I was on your LinkedIn page. And there's the reason I'm reaching out is because whatever, right? But again, that's hard to scale. Like yeah. that's hard to 
really scale. So I always recommend just do that for your logos, right? Like the logos you want, those are the ones you do that for. Now, and that's the quality side. Now, the quantity side, you got to get volume up, right? So yep. how do we do that? And how do you do that without being a spam engine? And it's, and it's persona driven. And yep. what I'm playing around with right now, because if you think of uh, how, um, how an email, like, you know, I use kind of old Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, AIDA as the yep. format, attention, interest, desire, action to craft my messages. And the subject line gets my attention. First sentence gets my interest. Yep. And what am I interested in? I'm interested in me. I'm not interested in you, right? So starting off with, hey, I'd like to, you know, introduce myself to you or any of that bullshit is, is terrible. Um, and so that first sentence kind of has to be about me. But how do you be about me without, without you know, having to go do research? And what I found is that the, the impact question that is very relevant to my persona that gets me to think then pulls me into the rest of that email. Yeah, yeah, 100%. One, one of the uh, questions I actually use that got some good results was when I was reaching out to salespeople, the one thing salespeople want to do is they want to save time and make more money. Right. So in the first Literally, I call it three seconds because especially like you said, if you're on a mobile phone, you're not seeing any more than that first sentence anyway right. of the email. So, you know, something like, you know, if I told you as a sales rep, I can save you 5.5 hours per day and, you know, 4X your, you know, or yeah. hit your quota six weeks in, something like that. You're like, oh, I'm a sales rep. If you can help me do this, this, and this, mm -hmm. I'd be interested. So um, I definitely agree with that. And I, I can't even tell you how many emails I get saying, hi, I'm this, this, and CEO of this company. And. I wanted to do this for you. Like right when I see that, I know they don't know me. Yeah. yeah. Or like, we, you know, recent surveys say that blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and you know, what's funny is because that, that actually aligns with, um, you know, kind of the book of the month club, if you will. Or, well, it was a little while ago, which is challenger sale, right? Challenger sale talks about lead with insights. Yeah. Well, I think we, what I, it's unfortunately flooded the market with the, the, in, the, the insight being led with, right? So it starts with recent surveys say, blah, blah, blah. And then it gets to, well, this is why you should pay attention. And this is what we can do about it. But you've already lost me at that point. When yeah. you, you say recent surveys, when you say, you know, other VPs of sales, blah, 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 that, I, that's not about me, you know? So, so start with me. And I think that's, the, you know, something you're seeing all these, um, I don't know if you're paying attention to kind of the artificial intelligence bots, you know, the, yeah. the Nova's, the, the, the scale X's and that type of stuff, which I'm still not bought into those. Cause what I'm seeing is that they're personalizing that first 20%, but it's, it's like LinkedIn circa, you know, 2000, which yeah. is, it's like, Hey, Sean, I see you're up in Toronto. Do you like the Maple Leafs? And then it comes in with this hardcore, like, like pitch on something else. Yeah. So it, there's no connection between the the personalized part and the reason yeah. you're reaching out to me. Yeah, I, you know, actually, I got a good subject line a few days ago, and it actually got my interest because they actually were. I think it was like, can we have a virtual coffee in Toronto? So they so right away I knew you. If you know you're from Toronto, you must know me. Right, right. And in the email, they were actually a company out of Montreal, like yeah. about four and a half hours from Toronto. But what they were doing is they were probably blasting it to a lot of people in Toronto and yeah. anyone that would say they'd book a day full of meetings, drive out to Toronto and do it. And to be honest, it actually got my attention because it was like coffee. Everyone yeah. likes coffee. Well, most, you know, most people like coffee. And then they knew us from Toronto. So I felt like even though it was a cold email, it actually got me to click because I thought maybe the person knew me. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty clever of uh, a company in Montreal that did that recently.
Yeah, I mean, I think it's even, you know, I, I got hooked on, I wrote a blog post a little while ago called like finally a contact strategy I can appreciate. And it was one of those kind of, you could tell the kid didn't do a ton of research on me, but he profiled me really well. And even to the subject line, it said like, these apps can add, uh, these apps can add value to your training services. Yep. I was like, well, I mean, at least the kid knows I'm a trainer, you know what I mean? So what, you know, what is this? So it wasn't just your typical thing. So at least it kind of was that next level down of, at least I know your persona, you know what yeah. I mean? At least some kind of, and we're finding that the persona driven messaging is actually um, getting as good, if not a little bit better uh, response rates from the pure personalization at this point. Really? Yeah. I mean, we did the test, so I don't know, uh, have you, um, you know, the company Shakespeare, have you heard of them? Shakespeare, not yeah. So Shakespeare AI. This was these were a couple of kids that came out of Salesforce a couple of years ago, okay. and they used my email approach, the why you why well the Jeff Hoffman email approach called the why you why you now, which is effectively hey I was on your website and you find yeah. it, you open up a new office. The reason the problem you'd read it out your value statement, right? Whatever. Um, and they said, hey, we created this artificial intelligence bot that produces super highly personalized emails at a fraction of the time. And, and it was like, whoa, okay. So, and, and I, I, first of all, I called bullshit, but then they sent me an email and I was like, oh my God, like, this is better than I've ever, this is almost better than I could write. Okay. Yeah. And, and it took, it only took the, the, the bot 70 seconds to write it. Okay. So I was like, holy shit. But what we did was, um, I had a, I had another company that did, we did under, we did uh, outsource lead gen for underservice markets. So a tool like yours to, to go after, you know, lighting and facilities and all this other stuff. And we did persona driven messaging. So it was very short, sweet to the point messaging, very specific to personas and did it at scale. And we, we used our database and their database and we compared and the, and the theory on their end was they're going to get like a 20% response rate and we're going to get like a 5%. So that Delta is going to, you know, prompt them to yeah. really go all in on building this tool out. We ran the numbers, man. And it wasn't that much different. I mean that we got like a five and a half, six percent response rate. They got like a seven, eight percent response rate, but it wasn't, it wasn't the Delta they were looking for. Yeah. So we're just like, shit. Okay. They shut it down because of that data. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So I think we're getting to a point where, you know, like there's that 20% personalization that I think needs to be there yeah. to show you're not a robot, but uh, it doesn't have to be the hyper-personalized anymore, which is a little bit disconcerting for me, but uh, but I get it. You know what I yeah. mean? It's, you know, I think a lot of times when people try to over, I think when they try to personalize 100%, they almost try to over-personalize it, right? Yeah. Kind of wordsmith something perfect before sending it out there. And obviously there's nothing perfect. So. Yeah. I think you just need to like, you need a few touches in that, in that, per, in that message that personalize it. So they know, or at least they, they don't have to know, they might know it's an automated email, but at least they know that you've done some sort of research, some sort of due diligence on that person mm-hmm. um, before you just, you know, started emailing, especially with all the tools out there now that are automating everything, even on LinkedIn and et cetera. Um, it's very important. Love it. Cool, man. Well, I got a kind of a, 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 a separate but related question for you. It's a little bit off topic, but it's based on some of the notes you sent over here. Number three, tennis player in Canada. Yeah, that- I, was, uh, I was actually a, a semi-professional tennis player when I was younger. I was uh, three, three in Canada. My highest world rank was like 190 in the world at one point. That's pretty badass. So let me ask you, what, what about tennis – did, did were there any learning lessons that you took uh, from your days as being that high level in tennis to being a leader right now uh, from an organization or from a sales standpoint? I will swear by this. Sports is probably the best thing for any young millennial before they, if they want to become an entrepreneur or even a business or work for a company. Sports 
helped me become everything I am today. And I'll tell you why. Um, at age, after I stopped playing pro, well, semi-pro, I taught the national team for eight years. Oh, wow. Not only that, but I taught people when I was 19, I was teaching people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And at that age, when I'm really young and people are, you know, going to malls and doing their thing, I'm talking to people 25 years older and I had to learn to be, to grow up very quick. Yeah. Um, so speaking to those people and I'm talking, you know, CEOs of big banks and, you know, Toronto Maple Leaf hockey players, kids like Max Domi, I taught tennis to, nice. um, and other, and other kids. Um, so that was one thing. The second thing was competitiveness. Um, yeah. I bring the same thing, you know, people now ask me, do you still play? And to be honest, I don't because there's only one way I know how to play. Yeah. I know how to play to go on a court and either win or lose. And I don't like to just rally. So how'd that help me now is, you know, for example, you know, as you know, there, there's, there's more than one, you know, articles of sales automation, but there's outreach sales. There's a ton of people. Mm-hmm. What it, what drives me every day is the competitiveness of saying, okay, I'm the underdog. Okay. You know, they've been in the industry for a few years. I'm going to come in um, and, and do try and do things better and grow um, organically. Um, so competitiveness is one thing, even on sales call and they say, Oh, I'm using this, com- this company. Uh, they do the same thing. Or, I'm using HubSpot. I'm using this. Well, for me, it's a game almost. So um, I would say tennis made me a competitive person, um, taught me, and actually got me my first two jobs as well before I even became an entrepreneur. So I definitely think um, playing sports, it could be tennis, it could be golf, it could be anything, is very important um, to move your way up in the business world for sure. Okay. And what about coaching? So you said you coached, uh, you know, the yeah. like what lessons, uh, what are some similarities of coaching tennis players to get great and coaching sales reps to be great? Yeah. So uh, when I was a coach, actually, uh, the one thing I really loved was I ran a team. We had about six people at my at my tennis academy mm-hmm. and working with them is like working with, as I guess you said, salespeople at my company. So you got to, you know, you got to be able to listen to them. And each person has their own personality. So, for example, in the sales team, you know, we're trying to see, OK, you're a good cold caller. You're really good at social selling and you're really good at email. You can't just go in and say, OK. Well, this is the process we're going to have because you got to know, just like you have to know your tennis coaches, you have to know your sales reps. So, you know, if somebody's a good cold caller, put them on the phones. Don't put them on social selling. If somebody's scared to be behind a personal video, don't ask them to go on LinkedIn and do a video like, you know, some of the great stuff Drift and other companies are doing because they just don't know how to do it. Um, so I think that was one thing with coaching. Um, but the competitiveness in me and the, the, uh, the hate losing – um, my sales team will tell you if, if, if we lose a deal, I'm not a happy camper. So that, that, that's actually a question I like asking a lot of leaders is do you, uh, which one do you like more? Which one is more for you? Uh, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? It's a good question. Uh, I would say I love to win. Yeah. See, I yeah. hate to lose. I fucking hate to lose. Like yeah. winning to me, like I love, and I think it's maybe a little bit of an experience thing in the in the sense that early on I want to win, I want to win. But then once I kind of arrive, if you will, uh, and I and I'm used to winning, like then it actually flips over, and I fucking hate to lose. Like like I get so annoyed when I lose compared to you know winning a huge deal. Like good job. Like I, that's what I'm expecting myself to do. Yeah. When I lose, ooh, does it bug me, right? So, like, it, it, you know, it's funny how, you know, I, what, what drives people, but I, I, I think it's an interesting thing. So I love to win. The reason, so what I do strategically when I hate to lose is I try and put, not put myself in situations where I can lose. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah. for example, I was away uh, six weeks ago with my wife, 
and she's, you know, she, she loves going on those paddle boards in the ocean. And I know she would, she would kick my ass. <laughs> yeah. She's like, let's go to another competition. Who could stand up longer? I'm like, no, nope. no, nope. <laughs> it's you know I was going to lose. So yeah. I'm just like, no, I'm just going to tan and read my book by the pool. <laughs> be, so I strategically know when I'm, when I'm not too good at something, yeah. um, I try and just, you know, whizzle off. But if I'm good at it, <laughs> then obviously I, uh, yeah, I love to win. And, and and actually going back to the coaching thing, do you coach towards, so you, I think, I think I know your answer, but cause you said it, but, but with um, when you're coaching people, there's a whole philosophy of, of playing towards your strengths or improving your weaknesses. Um, do you tend to, which, which one do you tend to focus on with your reps? Do you, do you tend to like mag, try to magnify their strengths or try to improve their weaknesses? So I've tried both and I find that the, the, Especially for for our company, um, where it's you know smaller than you know the outreach and the sales lofts, mm-hmm. I have to go on people's strengths. I yep. can try and spend or you know all, you know what we did for example two weeks ago. I wanted to, you know I'm very I'm always on LinkedIn and, mm-hmm. and I, I walk down and I go meet my friends like you're always on my newsfeed. You're always at the top shot, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to teach my salespeople that listen, your personal brand five years from now, personal brand is going to be everything. Mm-hmm. So you're not starting now, and you're not starting to do videos, and you're not starting to be on LinkedIn. It personally, your personal brand is going to be your resume. So yep. people are going to look and see how engaged you are with people. So I tried to actually, before working hours, I did a five day where I tried to have everybody come in here and learn how to work on their weaknesses. But during the day, nine to five, and we're really, you know, hustle, hustle here, trying to sell as much and end a quarter, two weeks ago, uh, we work on the strengths. But yeah, you know, for example, LinkedIn, I'm really trying to get my team on LinkedIn. And some people are like, what video do I post? Or, you know, you know, just whatever comes to mind, you just gotta you just gotta go on there and you know talk about you don't you don't have about sales, like just put whatever's on your mind that could bring value and engage people and just post it. So I would say um strengths right now, weaknesses I'm trying to get them more in, uh, involved in. Yeah, I mean I think my my philosophy on that is I, I try to magnify strengths and minimize weaknesses. Yeah. Right. So it's like you you just want you just don't want your weaknesses to hurt you. Yep. And, and if you you know, for instance, if you suck on video that's eventually going to hurt you because if you don't get like, you could be the best writer in the world, but I don't see what you look like when you write and, and we're in a visual world. So I want to see, I, you know, I, you, we have to figure out a way to get you comfortable and maybe that starts with, so instead of LinkedIn, because that's a, such a massive audience, maybe it's starting with Snapchat. You know what I mean? Maybe it's like, why don't you throw a few things up there on Snapchat just to kind of get comfortable looking at yourself on your phone and, and trying to add value and who gives a shit, right? It's going to be gone in 24 hours anyways, right? And then moving to Instagram stories where it's a little bit more, you know, saw, and then graduating to LinkedIn, that type of thing. If you're trying, if you're trying to do the video side. Yeah. Right? And what, so what I did for that was actually, I, I started and the first thing I asked each of them to do is do a video and actually post it internally in our Slack group yeah. for my entire company that's remote to see you. So I had them do two videos in the first week and say, okay, start with Slack. Nobody else between, you know, the 40 people in our company are going to see it. So everyone on our data team or developer or support will see it. You know, it could be talk about, you know, the end of quarter, you know, how the end of quarter went for your sales, how the last day of sales was, anything you have in the pipeline, give an update on your sales pipeline. And I did it on Slack and it was kind of like the first step. And then I'm just slowly, but actually Snapchat and Instagram and stuff like that might be actually better before I I post because they keep being, they're starting to do their emails now, but they're, uh, they haven't graduated to LinkedIn yet. Let's just say that. Yeah. Cool, man. Awesome. Well, look, I appreciate the time here. We always like to keep these in around 30 minutes. So I appreciate the time here. I think there's a lot of tactical stuff that people could take away from today. What's, um, 
Uh, tell people where they can find you, what you're up to these days, and, and uh, how you want them to engage at this point. Perfect. Uh, you can find me. What First place is probably LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn. I always have a tab open. So add me on LinkedIn, Sean Finder. Um, if you want to email me, if you have any questions about anything we talked about today, uh, you can find me at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at autoclose.com. If you have any questions about our platform, you can go to our website, www.autoclose.com. Um, but yeah, if you just have questions and stuff, uh, LinkedIn is, uh, is where I spend uh, most of my day. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate it. And um, so everybody out there, thanks for listening. Hopefully you got some value out of this as usual. And uh, like I always say, if you do anything else today, just make somebody smile. There's too much negativity out there. And if you make somebody smile today, it was a worthwhile day. So make it a great one. Make it happen. And uh, I'll see you on the flip side. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, John. Cheers.